much like a plate of liver and fava beans, followed with a nice Chianti. My latest book, Blood Tingling Tales, Volume 3, is ready to be consumed. <laughs> it's only 99 cents, or free if you have Kindle Unlimited. Go to maniacontheloose.com slash books, or go to amazon.com and search for Blood Tingling Tales. If you like scary stories, you've come to the right place. Welcome to the Maniac on the Loose Scary Stories Podcast. <laughs> Sit back and relax. Keep your arms and legs inside the vehicle at all times and enjoy the ride. In the dark. I live all alone in a creepy old house. At one time, it was likely a vibrant, welcoming place. Nowadays, it's covered with tattered, weathered, worn wood and gives off an ominous vibe. My postman told me he hates when I have packages too large for the mailbox because he gets chills walking up to the porch. It's a two-story house and it's much larger than I need, but the rent is next to nothing, mainly due to all the deficiencies the house has, such as the fact that the second floor has no electricity. But that's fine with me. The first floor is ample for my needs. I'm a derrick operator for an oil company. I basically drill holes into the earth for oil and gas wells. I work a lot. I'm hardly ever home. I just needed a place to rest my head at night and be able to relax on those rare occasions when I got some time off. For my needs, this place was perfect. But I'll admit that it was sometimes spooky living there. One night, shortly after I got home from work, a massive storm hit and knocked out the electricity. I was ill-prepared for the power outage. I only had one flashlight and the batteries were low. It only worked for a few minutes before the beam of light trickled down to a useless shade of amber. I was in the dark. This would have been fine if I were going to bed, but I was starving and had to have some dinner, so I felt my way to the kitchen. The house was unusually dark without electricity and the monstrous black storm clouds outside were shielding any moonlight. I couldn't see a damn thing. I had left my cell phone in my truck and I wasn't about to get drenched outside just to get it to use as a source of light. I halfway thought I had some candles in one of the kitchen drawers, so I found my way to a few drawers, opened them, and tried to guess what I was feeling within. Nothing felt like wax, or matches, or a lighter. But I did feel the unmistakable shape of my old digital camera. I hadn't used that thing in years. I was doubtful the batteries would still be holding a charge, but I was pleasantly surprised when I pressed the picture button down and a flash illuminated the kitchen for half a second. This would work well enough for me to make a sandwich and find a bag of potato chips in the pantry. Every few seconds I would take a picture and let the flash of the camera guide me. It took longer than usual, but I was able to sit down and eat enough to satisfy my appetite. At the tail end of my meal, a blinding burst of light managed to creep through the dark clouds and briefly brighten the living room through the large bay window. I was startled by what I saw. The one-second lightning flash appeared to have revealed the silhouette of a person standing in the living room. 
I guessed my eyes were playing tricks on me, but I still instinctively called out, Hello? There was no reply. I held up my trusty old digital camera, pointed it at the living room, and clicked the button. The flash wasn't as strong as the lightning, but it was enough for me to confirm that there was indeed a figure in the living room. Who the hell is that? I stood up and started to charge toward the figure, but ran into a chair and tumbled to the cold kitchen floor. While I was down, I could have sworn that I heard the pitter-patter of bare feet taking steps through the living room. It was hard to be sure due to the howling winds, relentless rain, and constant rolling thunder, but that was sure what it sounded like. I held up the camera and snapped another picture. There it was again, but this time it was in a different spot. I was still in the living room, but it had moved closer to me. I scrambled to my feet and snapped off another picture. It was closer yet. I couldn't make out any details of whatever this was. It was just a dark, human-like shadow. It had no features. I snapped another picture. It was closer. This time I recognized that it had long hair, giving me the impression that it was female. Who are you? What do you want? I snapped another picture. It was closer. It was moving toward me. At this point I felt like I had to make a choice. Fight or flight. I chose fight and let out a battle cry as I ran through the dark in the direction that I last saw the shadow figure. As I reached the area I expected to encounter it, I felt a sharp blow on my head and collapsed to the floor, unconscious. I woke up the next morning. The sun was shining in through the bay window and I could see the blue sky outside. The overhead light in the living room was shining, so the electricity was back on. My head was throbbing. I reached up and rubbed my forehead. I could feel a welt. When I checked my fingers, there was a little bit of blood on my fingertips, but nothing substantial. As I got to my feet, I startled when I saw a figure in front of me. It was my own reflection as I stared into the broken stand-up mirror before me. I must have run into it last night and knocked myself out. Was it my own reflection I was seeing in the mirror the previous evening? Most people I tell my experience to suspect that it was. I downloaded all of the pictures from my old digital camera that I took that night in hopes that perhaps there would be evidence of the shadow that was stalking me. There was no shadow, but there was a strange glare in every single picture where the shadow stood. Skeptics would write it off as the flash bouncing off of the very mirror that they believed created the shadow I encountered. But I'm sure they're wrong. Deep down, I know that there was something else with me. In the dark. Distant drums. In the distance, what we saw was a hazy vapor moving toward us. All was silent with the exception of the sound of distant drums. War drums. They were deep, bellowing. They shook the ground. The vapor was slow but steady. We didn't fear the vapor, but what it surrounded. Ships. They came from space. They came for us. The distant drums grew louder. The ground beneath me reverberated with vigor. 
My nervousness grew more intense. I can't tell you why we knew this was an invasion, but there was no doubt. That's what it was. The vapor eventually reached us, but lingered high in the air. We knew the craft were now hovering above us, even though they could not yet be seen. Silence continued, with the exception of those creepy, distant drums. We stood waiting for them to make a first move. Perhaps we would have taken the initiative if we could see our enemy, but we could not. There were hundreds of us standing in the open ready to take battle to the invaders when they arrived. That's what we told ourselves anyhow. We waited for the attack with patience and fear. We waited so long, in fact, that I believe some of us felt a glimmer of hope welling within our bodies. Hope that perhaps this wasn't an invasion at all. All that hope was abandoned when the vapor dissipated, filling the air with a peculiar scent of burning metal. Finally, we could see our enemies. Hundreds of crafts floated above us. They weren't the smooth metallic saucers that we all expected. They were black, jagged, and boulder-like. How those things flew, we had no idea. And at this point, we didn't care. All we cared about was survival. A beam of light emerged from one of the crafts. Not a thin laser beam, but more like a large spotlight. It made no sound. The only thing we could hear was the beginning of a scream from those the light was cast upon. The screams didn't have time to fully manifest and melted away, as did their bodies, leaving only the sound of the distant drums. Those who were vaporized by the spotlights were the lucky ones. They died early in the onslaught and never had to witness the horrid sight of the ground warriors as they reached us. Hideous creatures. Fat, slimy, green, pig-like. They were clad in glossy leather-like armor and were drooling with anticipation. One would expect grunts, squeals, and growls. But nothing. It was nearly silent as they raced toward us. Although they appeared primitive in appearance, their weapons were nothing of the sort. The handles of their weaponry looked like that of a battle axe, but the weapon atop was a ball of light. The creatures wielded the glowing weapons with grace. There was no force necessary to deliver a blow, but merely a touch. A touch of the glow melted my soldier companions on contact. We were armed to the tooth and let forth with everything we had. For a few seconds, the distant drums were drowned out by the deafening rattle of our machine guns. Our ineffective machine guns. The bullets bounced off the beasts. We may as well have been shooting rubber bands at them. It wasn't long before the battleground grew silent again as my fellow comrades in arms were mowed down with ease. I looked around at the ground before me, riddled with the remnants of men. The women weren't killed. I assumed the invaders adjusted the strength of their glowing weapons, allowing the women to only be rendered unconscious. They were then dragged off by the hair. I didn't want to imagine what would happen to them, and I wouldn't even have a chance to. I found myself as the only surviving male on the battleground. The invaders surrounded me. Did they not breathe? I could hear not a sound from their disgusting bodies. I could hear my own breath and the drums still off in the distance, their purpose a mystery. 
I pulled my sword from its sheath and held it in the ready position. The creatures began to look at each other with an expression I didn't recognize, but I surmised it to be amusement. One of the monsters stepped forth and accepted my challenge. It humored me, allowing me to swing my weapon over and over. It easily parried the blows with its weapon's handle. Occasionally, it moved within easy striking distance, but just before my weapon would meet its flesh, it would dodge out of the way with blinding speed. After it was sufficiently entertained by my effort, it thudded me on the back of my head with its rock-like fist. I fell to the ground in a daze. I could taste blood in my mouth as I looked up into the orange eyes of the beast. I could smell what I assumed to be the sweat of the creature. The stench was subtle, but was vinegary. I laid there helpless. Although it seemed like hours, it was only seconds before the alien touched the glow of its weapon against my forehead and melted me into the ground. The last thing I heard in this life was the awful, deep bellow of those eerie, distant drums. This episode is brought to you by Horror Quickies. If you like horror anthology books, this is for you. Over 80 tales of terror told in a true story style that will curdle your blood and send shivers down your spine. Horror Quickies, the complete series, is only $2.99 on Amazon or free if you have Kindle Unlimited. Go to Amazon.com and search for Horror Quickies or just go to ManiacOnTheLoose.com slash books. Doppelganger Sam My name is Sam. I'm having a really lousy day. It was Wednesday, which usually is a very fun day for me. You see, every Wednesday on my lunch break, my wife Kristen meets me in front of a hotel near my office. We rent a room and have sex like bunnies for an hour, and then I go back to work. On this day, my wife never showed. This was unusual. We had been doing this adventurous rendezvous consistently for the past two years, and neither of us ever missed a day. I checked my watch. I was running about 10 minutes late, but it wasn't the first time I was a little bit tardy. She never bailed out in the past. I called her cell phone, but it went straight to voicemail. Strange. I was feeling blue since the sex romp rug had been pulled out from under me, so I crossed the street to the movie theater. A goofball comedy that I had been dying to see was just starting. That would cheer me up. It had a runtime of just 80 minutes. Sure, I'd be a little late returning to the office from lunch, but honestly, this was the norm for me. Especially on Wednesdays. <laughs> I did have an important report that was due when I returned, but I just had to dot some I's and cross some T's, so screw it. Goofball comedy, here I come. The movie did the trick and it lightened my mood. Once it concluded, I hurried across the street back to my office. I work for a major manufacturing corporation based out of Atlanta, Georgia. I'm the office clown. I am always joking around and playing practical jokes on my coworkers. The job is so tedious, I have to do something to break the monotony or I'd go nuts. I hurried to the office building, took the elevator up to my office floor, and then attempted to discreetly meander over to my desk in hopes that nobody would recognize that I was coming back from lunch late. Boy, did that plan fail. 
My boss, Miss Peggy, spotted me from across the room and screamed. Not a scream of anger, but a scream of fear. It's him. He's back. Call security. Call security. She rushed into her office and shut the door behind her. I then spotted my friends Paul and Jeffrey. They were staring at me with their mouths agape. Jeffrey finally spoke up. Wow, the balls on this guy. Before I could question him as to what he meant by that statement, I found myself being whisked away by two burly security guards. What, what the hell is going on? One of the guards snapped at me. You've been fired and banned from this office complex. Fired for what? If we see you here again, we'll call the police and have you arrested for trespassing. With that, they tossed me out of the building. What the hell was happening? I'd give Jeffrey a call later that night to see if I could get the gist of what happened. Until then, I just tried to relax a bit at home. When I got home, I noticed a cab sitting outside the house at the curb. What was that about? I entered the front door and was met by my wife, Kristen. She was in a rush as she slipped her shoes on. She seemed pissed. Then I noticed she was carrying a suitcase. Kristen, what's wrong? What are you doing? She stared daggers at me as she tied her shoes. Oh, don't even play your little games with me. You crossed the line earlier, asshole. We are through. She pushed her way past me and jerked open the door. I tried to stop her. Kristen, I have no idea what you're talking about. That's as much as I could say before she turned around, slapped me, and then hurried to the cab in a huff. I watched on as the cab drove off into the distance. Was this some kind of a joke? Had everyone lost their minds? I wasn't even sure where to begin to try to decipher the unusual happenings taking place that day, but a nice stiff shot of bourbon seemed like a good place to start. One drink turned into two. Two turned into eight. I was pretty well gassed when the cops kicked my door in. I turned my head to see the blurry horde of police officers rushing at me with their guns drawn. Freeze, you son of a bitch! My words were slurred as I shouted out, What, what are you doing? Sam Cohen, you're under arrest for murder. I was booked and thrown into a cell. It wasn't until the next morning, when I sobered up, that my attorney arrived and clued me in as to what was happening. He slid a picture of a young woman with long blonde hair and a pretty smile in front of me. Do you know this girl? I shook my head no. That's Daria Simmons. She was brutally murdered last night. You've been arrested for that murder. I was in utter shock. I have never seen that girl before in my life. I have no idea who that is. Why? Why have they arrested me for this? Why do they think I did this? There was a small television monitor in the corner of the room. My attorney got up and pressed a button. Please explain this. It was security footage from behind some building. It showed the young woman, Daria Simmons, walking toward a car. Suddenly, a man rushed her from behind, knocked her to the ground, and then bludgeoned her to death with his fist. I felt sick. I had to fight back the vomit. I had never watched someone be murdered before. I was disgusted. I froze and could feel the blood drain from my face when the killer stood up. He was ignorant to there being video surveillance in the area and inadvertently turned directly toward the camera, giving everyone a crystal clear image of his face. Beyond a shadow of a doubt, it was me. Doppelganger. Clyde. 
My name is Clyde. I'm having a really weird day. I was in Atlanta for business. I was entering the hotel I had a room booked at when I was stopped by a voluptuous woman in a seductive dress. Hello, big boy. Wanna have a little fun? She started twirling her hair as she looked me up and down. Before I could even respond, she grabbed me by the arm, whizzed me up to her room, and we spent the next hour having wild sex. Boy, the hookers in Atlanta were mighty aggressive. We hadn't even negotiated a price. After our session, I cleaned up, got dressed, and handed her a $100 bill. She took the money and stared at it for a moment and then looked up at me in anger. This isn't funny. I shrugged. Well, how much do you want? Somehow that statement flamed the inferno of her anger. Seriously, Sam, this is not funny. I took out another hundred bucks and tossed it at her. That's all you're getting, whore. I don't have time for games. She seemed offended. A whore. Offended. <laughs> that was a new one. Go to hell, Sam. Go to hell. Shut up, you stupid slut. I roughly escorted her out of my room, slammed the door in her face, and walked away. Sam? Why did she keep calling me Sam? I thought the proper lingo for a hooker's customer was a John. When had they changed it to a Sam? Whatever. I had business to attend to. I left the hotel room and started walking down the crowded Atlanta street. As I passed by a large office building, two men rushed outside and pulled me into the building while repeating, Did you finish the Mueller report? Tell us you finished the Mueller report! Who were these jerks? What did they want? They kept going on and on about the Mueller report, whatever the hell that was, and hurried me into the elevator. Say you finished the Mueller report! Say it! Say it! I shrugged. Okay, I finished the Mueller report. I didn't know what was happening, but when I said that, they both seemed relieved and started patting me on the back. Oh, thank God. Boss bitch was going to have all our nuts in a sling if you didn't have that thing finished. What was this? Was this a prank? Was this some kind of bastard child of candid camera? There was a loud ding and the elevator doors opened. A tall woman with beady eyes, a constant scowl, and a perm stood at the elevator doors glaring at us. I had to assume this was Boss Bitch. Well, if it isn't the Three Stooges. The other two men instantly became submissive to the lanky woman. They started in with, Oh, Miss Peggy this, and Oh, Miss Peggy that. It was a pathetic sight. But it was me that Miss Peggy had settled her gaze on. Tell me you have the Mueller report. I continued to play along. Okay, I have the Mueller report. She held out her bony hand. Give it to me. I looked around. All eyes were on me. It was tense in this office. It was then that I realized this wasn't a joke. I let out a little chuckle. <laughs> oh, I think I see what's going on here. You seem to have me confused with somebody else. This infuriated Miss Peggy. Do not joke with me, mister. You want to play your little games with your pathetic peon peers? Go right ahead. But don't you dare try to bring me down to your level with your childish antics. I held up my hand. Seriously, who exactly do you think I am? That question made boss bitch blow her top. I think you are a pitiful little man who has never mentally matured beyond adolescence. She began sharply poking her skeletal finger into my chest. Mark my words, you puny, piteous bastard. If you make one more joke in my presence, I will have security throw you out of this building on your low-life ass. I grabbed her by the throat and pulled her face close to mine. Listen to me, lady. You better hope I never see you again. If I do, I'll lop your head off. Do you understand me? Do you, Miss Piggy? Her expression was laced with fear as she nodded her head profusely. 
I shoved her to the ground and watched her face transform into a mix of terror, shock, and embarrassment. I blew her a kiss before I left the office. Now, onto that business I needed to attend to. Did I mention that my business is killing people? That's what I came to Atlanta to do. Whenever I get the urge to kill, I fly to a city that I rarely visit and pick a victim I have no association with. The combination of these things makes it very difficult for the cops to catch on to me. On this evening, I went to a loud club with reverberating bass and flashing lights. I picked out my victim quickly, a very young girl with blonde hair and a pretty smile. There was no way she was 21. She must have gotten in with a fake ID. I watched her as she danced the night away, twerking up against every man who got within inches of her. She left the club all by herself. Big mistake. After finishing my business, I took the red-eye flight home. <sighs> it was a strange day indeed. This episode is sponsored by my book, It Lives in the Attic, a true jigsaw puzzle of horror that comes together before your eyes. Prepare yourself for a roller coaster ride of the weird, the horrifying, and the unpredictable. It Lives in the Attic. Only 99 cents on Amazon, or free with Kindle Unlimited. Just go to Amazon.com and search for It Lives in the Attic. Or go to ManiacOnTheLoose.com slash books. The Burning House The Hero I had to work late and I was driving home at approximately 8 o'clock p.m. The route I take home is a peaceful road that is sparsely scattered with occasional houses. At this time of night, the road was particularly quiet. Against the moonlit sky, I could make out a pillar of black smoke and the sporadic spark of ember. I could immediately tell there was way too much smoke for someone to be burning leaves. It had more of an appearance of a bonfire, but I suspected that wasn't what this was either. I stepped on the gas and as I zoomed over a hill, my fears were realized. There was a house on fire. It was an old brick ranch likely built in the 1950s. It was engulfed in flames. I sped into the front yard and came to a skidding halt. I didn't hesitate. I bolted from the car and raced toward the house. Tongues of flame were lashing out of the front window. The blaze made it too hot for me to get close to the front door, so I darted to a side window and peered in through the glass. Inside I could only see a wall of smoke and the shimmering glow of flames in the distance. I smashed the window with my elbow, shredding it up in the process. A burst of thick black smoke escaped through the broken window and bowled me over onto the damp lawn. I spent several seconds coughing the smoke out of my lungs before I could suck in a breath of oxygen, rise, and push my head into the broken window. Hello? Is anybody in here? I could see nothing beyond the raging wall of flames, but I could hear someone coughing. <coughs> Help me! <coughs> the voice was that of a man and was followed by a series of uncontrollable hacking coughs. I took my shirt off and attempted to fan the flames out of the way enough to see, and was able to make out someone on their hands and knees gagging. I called out to them, This way! Run to me! I could see the man looking around, trying to determine which direction my voice was coming from. He attempted to crawl toward me, but eventually gave out and collapsed to the floor. I took in a breath and rushed through the wall of flame to the fallen man. I shook him and slapped his face enough for him to come to. Put your arm around me! The man was weak, but was able to wrap his arms around my shoulders. 
I ran with full force through the blazing flames and was able to reach the window. I shoved the man outside to the safety of the front lawn. He crawled as far away from the heat of the burning house as he could before rolling onto his back and swallowing breaths of crisp night air. Is there anybody else inside? The man's eyes opened wide in a horrific realization. Rita, Rita, she's inside. The man tried to rise, but his strength was zapped and he buckled back to the ground. I darted back to the window and gazed within. In the distance, I thought I could make out the figure of a woman lying on her back. She was motionless. Above me, I could hear the sickening creaks of the burning house's roof beginning to give way. It would only be seconds before it would collapse upon the woman. If she wasn't already dead from the fire and smoke, this would definitely finish her off. I started to crawl in through the window. I was going to attempt to pull the woman to safety even as the roof started to crumble and collapse. Just then, I felt the gloved hand of a firefighter grab me around the neck, pull me back through the window and onto the lawn before the roof had a chance to crush me. I found myself looking up from the ground watching the firefighters spray their hoses hopelessly as the flames swallowed up the house. The Burning House The Man My girlfriend and I were having trouble. She said she didn't love me anymore. She said our relationship was over and that she never wanted to see me again. I couldn't accept that. I knew deep down, if we could just have a serious face-to-face -face discussion, we could work things out. So I went to her house. I knocked on the door and waited for her to answer, but she didn't. So I knocked again, and again. Finally she acknowledged my presence by screaming at me through the door. Go away! She refused to have the conversation that was necessary to rekindle our love. So I kicked the door in. Yes, it was a drastic move, but I couldn't just leave without us talking. I entered the house and saw her scrambling to pick up her phone. To call 911, no doubt. Now she wanted to have me arrested. To have handcuffs slapped on me and watch as I'd be shoved in the back of a police car and driven away. No, that wasn't happening. Not tonight. So I slapped the phone out of her hands. I could see the fear in her eyes. She was looking at me as though I was some kind of monster. I'm not a monster. I love you. I just came here to talk, to have a civil discussion. Get away from me. She tried to run, so I grabbed her by the arm. I couldn't just let her run away, not without talking to me first. But she was having none of it. She didn't want to talk. She wanted to fight. She started trying to jerk away from me. When I wouldn't relax my grip on her forearm, she started slapping at me, trying to get me to turn her loose. This angered me. Why won't you talk to me? I just want to talk to you! I was shaking her and noticed my voice beginning to rise. I probably sounded mean. I didn't want that. I tried to tell her that, but she screamed at me. Let me go. I hate you. I never want to see you again. She meant it. She spoke the truth. It was over. And in that moment, I accepted that fact. But if I couldn't have her, nobody could. I pulled her close to me, but she resisted, and it became a wrestling match. She was fighting me with all of her might and was stronger than she looked. We wound up on the floor and knocked over a nearby wastebasket. I pulled the white garbage bag from the wastebasket and wrapped it around her face. A few minutes later, she suffocated. Now what? If she were found murdered, I'd be the prime suspect. 
I had to make this look like an accident. That's when it dawned on me to burn the house down. But I had to be careful. I didn't want it to look like arson. That's when I remembered something useful. The last time I was at the house, when I turned on the light in one of the back bedrooms, I heard a loud pop in the wall and the circuit breaker was thrown. I also smelled smoke. I went to the bedroom hoping that the issue had not been repaired yet, and lucky for me, it wasn't. I flicked on the light, heard a pop within the wall and could smell a faint burning. I flipped the breaker back on and hit the light switch again. The same thing happened. I repeated the action over and over. After about 50 attempts, fire finally appeared. The flames grew faster than I expected and blocked my exit. Within seconds, the room I was in was enveloped by flames. Worse yet, was the smoke. I couldn't see where I was going and quickly became disoriented. And I couldn't breathe. I was hacking and coughing. I could feel myself growing faint. I was going to die right here next to Rita. That's when I heard a man's voice. Hello! Is anybody in here? I don't remember much after that. I was near death's door, but somehow this hero got me out of the house and saved my life. I suffered serious burns on my hands and forearms, but that would heal. I was questioned as to what happened. I told them the truth, that I turned on the bedroom light and the whole house went up. They do an inspection, no doubt, and would conclude it to be an electrical fire. When they gave me the news that Rita didn't survive the fire, I broke down. I was quite convincing, but I wasn't acting. I cried tears of sadness knowing I'd never see her again. And that was it. Thanks to the heroics of that brave man who pulled me out of the burning house, I was able to get away with murder. The Crash at Loch Ness In 1989, commercial airliner flight 8401 flying from Glasgow to Inverness, Scotland crashed in Loch Ness, killing all passengers and crew. The crash made worldwide headlines not only due to the tragedy of lost lives, but also due to the fact that the plane crashed into the world-famous Loch Ness. Loch Ness is a freshwater loch in the Scottish Highlands. It extends 22 miles southwest of Inverness. The loch is notorious for being the alleged home of the cryptozoological creature referred to as the Loch Ness Monster. The Loch Ness Monster is described as a hefty beast with an elongated neck and housing multiple humps which can sometimes be seen protruding from the water. Some have referred to it as a sea serpent or a dragon. Earliest reports of a monster in Loch Ness go all the way back to the 6th century. There were also multiple sightings reported in the late 1800s. But the monster gained worldwide attention in 1933 when a local newspaper published a detailed account of a sighting. Since then, countless sightings of the monster have been reported by locals and tourists alike. Numerous photographs and videos have been taken by various people over the years. Most of the images seem to show something large breaking the surface of the lock. Many people claim this to be proof of the Loch Ness Monster's existence, but most find the visual evidence to be inconclusive. 
Following the crash of Flight 8401 in Loch Ness, an exhaustive search took place, but oddly enough, recovery teams were unable to find any evidence of the plane and eventually called off the search. The sad story of Flight 8401, which vanished in the depths of Loch Ness, quickly became yesterday's news and was forgotten until 1994, when a local fisherman found a four-foot section of a wing of a plane, thought to be that of Flight 8401. The strange thing about the wing section is that it appears to have been mangled and has several jagged marks around the edge that some believe resemble teeth marks of a large creature. The underbelly of the wing portion also seems to show a series of uniform circular indentions that appear to be suction marks from that of a giant tentacle. The discovery resurrected the story and a long debate as to whether the wing portion was real or fabricated ensued. After careful study, the wing was officially determined to be part of Flight 8401. Another recovery mission was launched, but again, they came up empty and the mystery of Flight 8401 persisted. In 1999, ten years after the crash, a tourist was walking along the shores of Loch Ness when he came upon a bright, orange, cylindrical object. He picked it up and had a hunch that it may be something significant and brought it to authorities. His hunch proved correct and it was determined that the object he found was the flight recorder for Flight 8401. A flight recorder, also known as a black box, is a recording device that is placed within an aircraft for the purpose of recording the sounds within the cockpit, including communications between the pilots and air traffic controllers. The recording from the flight recorder of Flight 8401 was never released to the public. Many believe the authorities found something on the recording that they did not want to be made public and intentionally kept it hidden. In early 2022, the flight recorder's data from Flight 8401 was leaked by an anonymous source. The following is the transcript of that recording. This is Flight 8401. We have lost both engines. Uh, Flight 8401, please say again. Uh, uh, We have no engines. Uh, uh, Do you need to land? We are experiencing... We are experiencing catastrophic engine failure. We are requesting an emergency landing. Where would you like to go? Which airport? Please advise. Shit. Negative, negative, we're, go- we're going down. Uh, say again, Flight 8401, say again. Mayday, mayday, we're going down. I, I'm, I'm going to have to take it into Loch Ness. You're going down. I, I think I can lay her down smoothly on Loch Ness. We should be fine, stand by. Uh, say again. What? what the hell is that? Flight 8401, please repeat. There, there's something under the surface of the water. What is that thing? Uh, where? Flight 8401, what exactly do you see? It's emerging. It's huge. Flight 8401, say again. It has us. Please repeat. It has a hold of the plane. It has us. What's happening? It has us! It's it's taking us under! Oh Oh my god! End of transcript.
This week's episode is sponsored by my latest books, Blood Tingling Tales, Volume 1 and Volume 2. Each book has over 15 tales of terror waiting for you. Both are available on Amazon. Blood Tingling Tales, Volume 1 is completely free for everyone. Blood Tingling Tales, Volume 2 is just 99 cents, or free if you have Kindle Unlimited. Just go to Amazon.com and search for Blood Tingling Tales, or go to ManiacOnTheLoose.com slash books. The Woman Across the Street I recently moved into an apartment. I'm on the top floor of a four-story building in a bustling small town. I enjoy pulling up a chair next to my front window and gazing about. I live right on Main Street, which is cool. Lots of activity most days and nights. Lots of people watching opportunities. When I look out my window, I see a French restaurant, a lawyer's office, and a tavern. A wide variety of people frequent all three establishments. All of these buildings are four stories tall as well, and the three floors above each establishment are used as apartments. Most of the apartments across the street that I can see are occupied by people who keep their blinds shut most of the time. There are two renters who keep their curtains open and their lights on most of the time. One belongs to an old woman who spends most of her time watching television. Whenever she spots me looking out my window, she smiles and waves. The other belongs to a very athletic young woman. Every time I see her, she's riding an exercise bike. It's like she lives on that thing. Anytime she spots me looking her way, she stops, gets off the bike, and shuts her blinds. It makes me feel like a pervert every time, even though I'm not gawking at her. I'm simply gazing out my window and happen to look in her direction from time to time. I mean, that's what windows are for, right? The building directly across from me is the one that garners the best views. The second and third floors typically have their blinds closed. Not much to see there. The fourth floor directly across the street from my window has the curtains tied open, but the room is always dark. I wouldn't be able to see anybody in there unless they were standing in the window. For the first week in my new apartment, I never saw anyone in that darkened apartment across the street. I hated that the lights were always off. It gave it such a lonely feeling. I assumed it was currently vacant, until I saw her. She was beautiful, stunning. Her raven black hair was naturally wavy and flowed over her shoulders. Her skin was powder pale, which accentuated her dark red lips and jade eyes. She always wore the same evening dress a light blue chiffon v-neck dress that swept past her ankles. She stood in the window and peered around at the people on the street. She didn't stay in the window for more than a minute before she disappeared into the darkness, but that was all I needed. I was smitten with her instantly. Every night I spent time at my window hoping to catch another glimpse of the stunner. Her appearances were fleeting, a few seconds here and there gazing about. She never had the front room in her apartment lit, so I couldn't see her after she stepped away from the window. I guess you can say I got a little obsessed with her. Every spare moment I had, I sat by my window waiting for her. When I wasn't by my window, all I thought about was getting there. Kinda crazy to think I was lovesick over some woman that I had never spoken a word to. But that's the way it was. 
On the nights I saw her, I would gasp when she appeared. I'd stand up and practically press my face against the window to make sure I was getting a good look. Whenever she stepped away, I would let out a groan. I started trying to think of ways I could accidentally, on purpose, run into her and introduce myself. I didn't really have an end game. I just wanted to see her up close, hear her voice, and stare into those hauntingly beautiful eyes. I was coming up empty with how to accomplish the task, but the calculations of my mind were shuffling endlessly. One night, when she stepped in front of the window, there was something about her appearance that broke my heart. She held a melancholy expression as she looked down on the street. It didn't feel right that such a breathtaking soul should be feeling glum. The next time I saw her, she looked even more saddened, and she wasn't looking out the window. She was staring down at a letter in her hand. I could see her breath become erratic and choppy, and I let out a sigh of sadness when she leaned her head back and began to sob. I was watching her wipe the tears from her cheeks when we made eye contact. Her stare had a power I couldn't comprehend. I was frozen from her beauty. She was intoxicating. But I felt like a fool when I witnessed her saddened expression be replaced with embarrassment. As she stepped backwards away from the window and was enveloped by darkness, I cried out, No! Don't go! But she was gone. What was she crying about? What was in that letter? Who dared to bring sorrow to that delicate creature? The next day I called in sick to work and I spent my entire day looking out my window waiting for the woman across the street. It was early in the evening when I finally saw movement by the window, but it wasn't her. It was a gangly old man with slick back white hair. I watched in horror as he stepped forward and placed a for rent sign in the window. As he stepped back into the room, he turned on a light and I could see that the room was empty. She was gone. I raced across the street and caught the bony old man as he exited the building. The room on the fourth floor, it's for rent? He nodded. What happened to the woman who was staying there? His brow crinkled in confusion. Woman? Yes, the beautiful woman who was staying there. I have an apartment across the street. I've seen her standing by the window on many occasions. A spark of recognition filled the old man's eyes. Did she have black hair? Yes! Was she wearing a blue dress? Yes, yes, that's her! I'm sorry to inform you that the woman you saw doesn't live there anymore. She received a letter from her husband informing her that he was leaving her for another woman. What, well, where, where did she go? Did she leave a forwarding address? He shook his head. Son, you don't understand. That happened over 50 years ago. I sat heavily on the steps outside that building. It was several deep breaths later when I finally had the energy to ask a question. What happened to her? She spent the next two weeks standing in front of that window, staring down at the street, hoping one day her husband would return. They say she died of dehydration. I say she died of a broken heart. I pictured my life moving forward without meaning. It was a gloomy future for sure. Then it dawned on me. I'll take it. The old man didn't immediately understand what I was saying. The apartment, I'll take it. But you haven't even seen it. I've seen enough. I live in that apartment now, with that hauntingly beautiful creature. 
I watch her as she goes through the reoccurring pattern of looking out the window, reading the letter, and crying. I constantly tell her how beautiful she is, and how any man who would leave her is not worth her tears. She never responds. I don't think she can hear me, but I need her to. If only she could hear me, I could show her what love really is. I need to do whatever it takes to mend her broken heart. Whatever it takes. I've been staring out of the window for close to a week now. I'm severely dehydrated. It shouldn't be much longer. Imaginary friend. When I would lie in bed at night, if I listened closely, I could hear the dark. I could hear it creeping up the stairs and walking down the hall. I could hear it standing outside my door, waiting for me to let it in. One night I got out of bed and opened the door. That was the night I met Mr. Dark. My name is Bobby. I'm a nine-year-old boy. My imaginary friend is Mr. Dark, although he's not imaginary. I tried to explain that to my folks, but that seemed to worry them, so much so that they made me see a shrink. They referred to her as a counselor, but I knew that meant shrink. The shrink told me to draw a picture of Mr. Dark, so I did. I guess to her, he just looked like a dark silhouette of a man. There's more to him than that, but I guess grown-ups don't really want to look that close. They could see him if they really wanted to. He shows up in reflections. That's the only time I can see him, too. I usually see him when I look in the mirror. He likes to stand over my shoulder. The shrink saw him once, but just for a second. I walked by the window of her office. The sun was shining just right and cast my reflection. And Mr. Dark's, too. I could tell by her expression that she saw him, but she didn't want to admit it. I could see the wheels of her mind turning as she tried convincing herself that her eyes were just playing tricks on her. In the end... I decided to admit to the shrink and my parents that Mr. Dark wasn't real. He was just my harmless imaginary friend. This put them all at ease. I stopped talking about Mr. Dark around them, for their sake. And things went back to normal. But Mr. Dark was still with me. He was always with me. And he helped me. My next-door neighbor goes to my school. She's a grade higher than me. She's mean. When she found out that I was seeing a shrink, she made fun of me. One day while we were in the stairwell at school, she tripped and fell down the stairs. She broke her leg in three places. Everyone thinks it was just a freak accident, but I know better. Mr. Dark tripped her. Then there was the teacher who gave the class an assignment to write a story about their best friend. Naturally, I wrote a story about Mr. Dark. She said imaginary friends don't count and gave me a D. At the end of the day, when she went to her car, she found that someone had smashed her windshield in with a baseball bat. I know who did it. It was Mr. Dark. Only one other person has ever seen Mr. Dark as well as I have. Doug DeBose, the school bully. He was a horrible person. He's two grades higher than me and picks on the boys in my class. He beats them up and takes their lunch money. 
When he told me I had to start giving him lunch money every day, I laughed in his face. He didn't like that. He pushed me into the bathroom and started wailing on me. I covered up as best I could, but he punched hard. Even when I blocked the punches, it still hurt. He stopped punching me when he looked in the mirror and saw Mr. Dark. Doug was so scared he peed his pants. He tried to run away, but Mr. Dark grabbed him by the hair and pounded his face into the mirror over and over until Doug was nothing but a lifeless rag doll. Mr. Dark suggested I hurry out of the bathroom before someone found Doug's body. I did so. Mr. Dark says I'm his best friend and that he'll always be watching out for me. He says that if anyone does me wrong, he'll fix them good. It's nice to have a best friend. We hope you enjoyed the show. We're dying for you to come back for more. <laughs> Visit ManiacOnTheLoose.com Sign up for our newsletter and I'll give you some free stuff. We'll see you soon. Very soon. If you like what you're hearing, please consider contributing. Any amount helps. Recurring monthly contributions are best of all. Just go to ManiacOnTheLoose.com slash support. That's ManiacOnTheLoose.com slash support.